So good morning. I want to share this morning on the subject, no trials, no growth. No trials, no growth. I'm going to look at James chapter 1 and we're going to look at verse 2 to 4. So let's just go to that. James chapter 1. Count it all joy. Seriously? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Would you agree with me, life is hard? Anybody disagree with that statement? Yeah, I thought so. Life is hard. See, one of the things that is absolutely essential for a saint's development is that we go through and experience trials. God, in His infinite wisdom, has granted His redeemed children the opportunity of experiencing trials. They come in different levels and at different times in our lives. We live in a fallen world. Sin has totally, totally saturated every area of our lives. It's stained the physical universe. It's deeply affected the human bloodstream. Things break. Our bodies wear out. We grow old. We die. People kill each other. Marriages break. Children, in growing up, get hooked on alcohol, drugs, sex, sometimes all three. Babies are born with defects that cannot be corrected. Priests molest. People commit adultery. Pastors commit adultery. Friends disappoint. We disappoint friends. Sometimes we wake up in the morning and we find out that our friends have sued us. Bosses decide you're just not the right fit. Whatever that means. Hmm? A trial comes our way. There's an old song that says, into each life some rain must fall. Somebody once said, if all that you have in life is sunshine, all that you're going to have is desert. Trials are essential for our growth, maturity, and development. So, there's this notion that came about that the Christian life is easy. I don't know who came up with that. Maybe somebody who's been born again for 24 hours and is still living in seventh heaven. I don't know. <laughs> but Jesus did say, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But he said that in its context, in comparison to the Pharisees. But he said, my yoke. It's nevertheless a yoke. And Jesus also said, that you need to take up your cross daily 
deny yourself and follow me. Now, before you <laughs> misunderstand me, I want to just say that I think the Christian life is the best life that we can possibly live because it's the only true life. To know Christ is to know God. To know God is to have eternal life. But we will have trials. Guys, we're going to have tough times that we're going to have to deal with. And it's no good trying to flee from them because they will catch us. Last week, Merva said, surely goodness and mercy will follow. It's not like little puppy dogs that follow you around. Sometimes that goodness and mercy will overtake. But thank God that that goodness and that mercy overtakes because those trials want to overtake you. And they want to get a hold of you. And they want to push you down. But we must see them as an opportunity. It's an opportunity for us to grow, to love God a little bit more, to enter into the inheritance that God has given to us. Let's look at James chapter 1 and verse 12. This is what it says. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So we shouldn't resent these trials as intruders, for example, into our home and we need to get rid of them and exit them. We must welcome them as friends because they've got something to teach us. They've got something to deal, to do with our maturity and our growth each and every single day. They will cause us to grow in grace and we need to experience these new conflicts that come our way. The Bible indicates that the Christian life has many dimensions and areas of blessing. But along with that, there are many dimensions of evils that come inside and outside. And we need to have God's grace in dealing with those things. Acts chapter 14 and verse 22 says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. I want to reiterate. Trials are there not to exasperate us, but to strengthen us, to purify us, to increase our maturity, and to grow to be more like Jesus. That amazing hymn, amazing grace, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Dangers, toils, and snares, part of the Christian life. So before I get on to the purposes, and I've got two purposes, and next week I'll talk about another two. Before we deal with the purposes, I have read many biographies. I love history, not only Christian history, worldly history, love history, love biographies, and I've read a lot about very good, successful men, some Christians, some not, but I've never ever come across a very successful man or woman who hasn't gone through great tribulation and struggle. 
It hasn't been an easy life for them. You see, when they've come to a rock in, the, uh, in their path, they've been able to, instead of moving that rock or going around it, they've stepped up onto that rock and that bumpy place, and they've made it an elevation for them to go higher. The rocks are what cause you to climb. So the first principle that I want to share, first purpose, is to refine. Trials are there to refine us. Martin Luther, the great reformer, probably one of the most five greatest Christians that have ever lived, caused the Reformation to take place. Martin Luther said this, one Christian who has been refined is worth a thousand who haven't. Fascinating. One worth a thousand who haven't. See, in this way, God accomplishes what no other thing does. He refines us in the situation. So, let me use the example of an eagle. We Bible speaks about us being like eagle Christians. Need to mount up with wings like eagles. Run and not be weary. But mama eagle prepares a nest up against the mountaintop. And she finds thorns. She finds sharp rocks. And she puts them in a ledge. She's going to have little eaglets Surely thorns and sharp rocks are not the place to have little eaglets. But what she does is she gets wool and she gets fur and she gets feathers and she lines that nest. So when the eaglets come, she comes every day and she drops food into their mouths and she tends to them and she protects them at night. And then there comes a time when Mama Eagle says, no, it's enough now. And she needs to teach these little eaglets how to fly. And she comes and she flaps her wings vigorously. And I think, wow, what big wings Mama has got. And then she starts with her giant claws, her tendons, and she starts ripping that nest apart. And she takes that fur and that wool and she throws it off the edge. And so it becomes very uncomfortable for the little eaglets to, to live there. And then slowly but surely... Uh, Food has just been dropped into her mouth, their mouths and now they're going hungry and they think, oh, I'm going to dare. I'm going to dare to jump out of this thing and, and to go and look for food myself because I'm really, really hungry. But as they go falling over the side and as they flop down to the bottom and they see that canyon below and it's, oh, it's not so pleasant, Mama Eagle comes and she swoops down and she picks them up and takes them back. But this is all part of the lesson that takes place. See, one of the things that I've come to understand about the Christian life is that God is more intent on the production of character in our lives than He is on providing us with comfort. And that smacks right across the face of all the prosperity preachers. You know, it's about this life. It's about getting rich and having great things. As, as you hear that I'll continue, I'll share examples from the Bible. I mean... God is wanting to produce something in us to prepare us for eternity. 
What, a, what, what is the essence of this life? Preparation for eternity. Jacob. 40 years he's been running. Cheated his brother out of both blessing and birthright. Until one day he finds himself at a brook at Peniel. And there he wrestles with a man. That man is God. And God dislocates his hip. A.W. Tozer, in writing about Jacob, says, It's doubtful that God uses any man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Hmm. How about Daniel? We we go back to the kiddies' Bible stories, and we see Daniel as a big, strong, tall, elegant, dark-haired, dark-beard man standing with his hand over the lion's mouths. But that's not true. Daniel wasn't a young man. When he was in the lion's den, he was 85 years old. I mean, surely you would think that if you've been a faithful servant of God for 85 years, that God, you've got something better for me, maybe a little house and then a swimming pool and a little air conditioning going on, but here I am in a stinking old, with old carcasses there that the lions can feed on and they're poop laying around. I mean, surely you've got something better for me than in a lion's den? <laughs> Job. Job often questioned why God had let him experience what he had experienced until he got to the place where he says, I I don't need to know why. I just need to know and trust God in this situation. Peter, Paul, John, we can carry on and we can carry on. Psalm 37 says this. Did I, did I have 37? No, sorry. <laughs> there, there, there was a, the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. There was a misprint in one translation and said the stops of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. That's an interesting misprint. The stops of a righteous man. Because if God is involved with our steps, he should be involved with our stops as well. And sometimes we feel, I'm not progressing, Lord, but he's doing something in your life and he's doing something in your heart. Trust him in that situation. The greatest illustration of all is in the life of Jesus. Jesus, the Savior of the world, coming from the right-hand side of God the Father. He is the Son of God. He comes and He lives amongst us. And how does His life end? I mean, to the point where Jesus, before He knew what was coming, the night before His death, He goes into the garden and He prays, Father, if it be Your will, let this cup pass. I don't know know why I have to go through this, Lord, but if, if it's at all possible, let this cup pass from me. But it wasn't God's will. And he died on a cross like a common criminal. And he died for everybody to see. In a moment, 
of absolute failure. And out of that situation, out of that trial, out of that difficulty, out of that disappointment, came the greatest salvation, the greatest work of God, and the greatest hope to the world. He had come to trust God. Trust God in the refining process. The second thing is to make us more like Jesus. God has a purpose for us. Romans 8 29. Did I give you that one? No. <laughs> Sorry. For he who foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. Well, the intention of God is to produce his image, the Son's image, in your life. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 3. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. Okay, let's just, I'll just deal with that. He sits there as a purifier of silver. There were a number of ladies in a Bible study one day that were looking at that verse and they thought, I wonder what this means. And one of the ladies volunteered and they said, I'm going to phone up a local uh, a silversmith, and I'm going to go in. And she phoned up and arranged to go and watch him purify some silver. And she went in. She didn't tell him what it was about. She just said, it's just my curiosity. I just need... So she watched him, and he lit a fire, and he had this fire, this furnace going, and he placed the silver over the hottest place. And that 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 was interesting to her, that 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 the... The silversmith placed the silver right over the hottest area of the fire. And sometimes God does that, and you think, God, what are you doing with my life? I don't understand. And she asked him, why, why do you do that? No, it's, it, it needs to take place with a purification. And she saw that he watched the whole process. He sat there and he watched the whole process taking place. And, and she thought, well, that's like God. God watches us. He doesn't take his eyes off us in the midst of a trial and a time of difficulty because he's a purifier of silver. And then he took it out. And he said, why do you take it out? So he said, I don't want to damage. I have to take it out at the right time because I don't want to damage the silver. And then she said, how do you know when it's completely refined? And he said this, when I can see my image in the silver. I look at David, a young man, minding his own business, looking after his father's sheep, out on the hillside, and here comes a lion and a bear. And he deals with them, kills them. And then when he goes and he visits his brother, brothers in the army, they're fighting the Philistines, but there's no fighting. It's just this big giant that comes out every single day. Fee, fi, fo, fum. I smell the blood of an Israeli. Uh, no. <laughs> Something like that. And he defies the armies of Israel and he defies the living God. And David, he says, no, this is not right. And immediately he recalls 
that God enabled him to defeat the lion and the bear. And he says, I'm going to defeat that giant. You see, those were moments in the life and in the early stage of David's growing up that were just such wonderful opportunities for him. Because if he had failed or if he had faltered, he would probably never ever have become king of Israel. But he dealt with those situations. And sometimes we're sitting alone and here comes a lion and here comes a bear and we wonder what in the world is going on. And we ask ourselves the question, God, what are you doing? Why am I left alone out on the hillside having to fight a lion? It's all because he wants to produce his image in your life. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 9, For a wide door for effective work has been opened to me. Wouldn't that be great if there was a full stop there? God has given us a wide door. Go and evangelize the world. But it says, and there are many adversaries. Hmm? There are going to be challenges that will come our way. Somebody once said, difficulty is the nurse of greatness. But in amongst all of those situations, the Lord's presence is with us. The Lord's presence is there. Cole Bart, who was probably the greatest Christocentric theologian. Some theologians don't write about Jesus. <laughs> they just write about theology. But Cole Bart was Christocentric. Greatest theologian of the 20th century. He said this, In our glory and in our misery, we men are not alone. I am in all circumstances in company with him. He is a God of all circumstances. Psalm 23 and verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? Why don't we need to fear evil? For thou art there with us. God has said to us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So I'm going to deal with those two purposes today. But then, how do we overcome? So starting off, have a right relationship with God. Uh, I know that stuff. We've heard many sermons about that. But let me just say, I don't think that you can possibly get through life victoriously without having a solid relationship with the Lord Jesus. And it needs to be an ongoing relationship. You see, moral and spiritual strength is like physical strength. It's not the product of the moment. It's the product of the years. It's the training that takes place. Little bit by little bit, step by step, how we handle little tests, how we handle little things will help us in achieving victory over big things. It all starts off with a thought. Sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, 
reaper character, sow a character, reaper destiny. It all goes back to that thought. What are your thoughts? You hear people who have slipped up and have fallen in a moment of passion or a moment of stupidity, and you think, how could they suddenly collapse morally like that? Well, if you were able to have a view into their lives prior to that, you would probably see that the books that they were reading, the things that they were watching, the entertainment, the friendships that they had chosen, the inward attitude towards prayer and worship and self-discipline probably would be found wanting. A young priest had fallen and the older priest was sitting with him, chastising him and said, what's the matter with you? And the young priest said, you don't realize the outside pressure. This is outside pressure. Outside pressure. Where was the inner, set, inner strength? Where was the inner strength that was taking place? You see, that's the thing that takes place. I mean, I read a story the other day about a pastor who had just arrived at a church in the United States. And he, he, he decided to go into town. His wife was using his car. And he decided to get, and he caught the bus. And he got into, into the bus and the bus driver looked at him and gave him some change after telling him what it what it was uh, the amount and he looked at the change and the bus driver had given him 25 cents a quarter extra so he took it he sat down he went to a couple of stops and as he was getting off the bus he stopped and he said to the bus driver, you charged, you, you gave me too much change. Here's the 25 cents back. And the bus driver said, I knew I gave you more. I was just wanting to see. As the new pastor, I'd come to your church on Sunday and I just wanted to see how you would respond. And then the pastor got off the bus and he thought, I could have just sold the Lord Jesus Christ and the kingdom over 25 cents could have been a sellout but he had the integrity enough to give back we are examples people look at us and that's going to be the only bible that they're reading And we need to reflect the Lord Jesus. Watch your thoughts. They become words. Watch your words. They become actions. Watch your actions. They become habits. Watch your habits. They become character. Watch your character. They become destiny. Psalm 32, verse 5 to 7. This speaks about God being our refuge. This is the secret of moral victory. This is what it says. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from Him. He is. He only 
is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. My refuge is God. Listen, when you spend time in prayer, prayer is not there for you to inform God. Prayer is there for God to form you. When you tell God about a situation, I've been in prayer meetings and people start, you know, Lord, this is what's happened and this person has been put into hospital and this is what's happened to him and he's really struggling. And God knows. God knows these things. I mean, you, you know that even before it happened, God knew because he knew even before you conceived and placed in your mother's womb. He knew about that. See, and, and, and we informed God, hoping that there would come deliverance out of the situation, but really God is not wanting to pluck you out of the situation. He is wanting you to go through the situation so that there can be refinement and becoming more of the image of God that takes place in your life. He's a God who is in charge. He is a God who is in control. He is a God who loves you. He cares for you. You going through a difficult time this morning? He cares for you. And I want to finish off with saying the second thing that we need to really seek God on is His Word. Look, the Bible, it's an unbelievably unique, dynamic book. When I took my ordination vows as a young man of 23, I stood up and I had to say, the Bible, the Old and the New Testament is the supreme rule of faith and life. You know, there are seven wonders about the Bible. The wonder of its formation. The way in which it is grown and has grown together is one of the mysteries of, of all time. It started hundreds and hundreds of years, took place, even millennia, to shape that book. It's, it's, it's a mystery, the wonder of its formation, the wonder of its unification. It is a library of 66 books. It took place over a thousand, thousands of years. And how it's come together, 66 books as one book. The wonder of its age. It's the, one of the oldest, most ancient of books. The wonder of its sale. It's been the best-selling book of all time. The wonder of its interest. It's the only book in the world that is read every single day by every class of people by hundreds of millions of people. The wonder of its language. It was written mainly by uneducated people, and yet, from a literary standpoint, it is unbelievable. And the wonder of its preservation. It's been the most hated of all books, and yet it continues to exist 
the word of God shall stand forever. And that's why we read this book. You know, God's word refines us. It causes us to look to him. Psalm 119 and verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. When Jesus was tempted by the devil in Matthew chapter 4, how the devil came and tempted him and he responded with the word of God. What is the difference between weak tea and strong tea? It's the same elements, hot water and tea bags. Weak, strong. It's the amount of time that the tea is in the hot water in the, in the, in the, in the, in, in the cup. How much time are you spending in the Word of God? How much time are you allowing the Word of God to speak to you each and every single day? Will determine your strength in your Christian life. The Bible is so deep that theologians will never reach the bottom of it. And it's so shallow that babies cannot drown. You're going through a trial? Let's pray.